Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's never had an attack monkey, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? N- neither me nor nor any of my uh, significant others have ever possessed a monkey uh, that, that did such things. Uh, no, it's spooky season, Gerald. Uh, no matter what we are known for, whether it's coaching a position, recruiting kids, or, or, or anything else between those lines, we enter a Halloween season. We're now in the month of November, my favorite month of the year generally, with not the uh, the gloomiest of, of outlooks of football, but that's okay. We're just going to have a good time here. We're going to try to celebrate life's joys. Gerald, as we said, you recently welcomed in a newborn, so you, you're, you're looking at the world with a, with a different hue, and, and, and uh, give, us, give us a reason uh, before we dive in and talk about the football team uh, to, to, to be thankful. You know, I woke up this morning and we the first thing my son had asked was, why haven't we put up the Christmas tree yet? And if that's if that doesn't get you excited about just the magic of moving on Mm. from October, then I don't know what else will, because the last four weeks, Kyle, not been great. So let's turn the page. New month, new season, new reasons to live. But we're going to talk about at least the last week of the month and make ourselves depressed for at least another hour or so, because Texas, once again, we thought the season was changing. We thought things would be different. But once again, Texas built up an early lead and surrendered it against the Baylor Bears 31 to 24. And there's a lot to discuss. And when we were building the show notes, we were building the rundown. I didn't know where to start because the offense played well in some spots. The offense didn't play well in some spots. The defense, very similar, played well in some spots, didn't play well in other spots. And this feels like at least more off more than the last two, a complete team loss, hmm. much more than you can blame it on one side or the other. Yeah. I mean, I think you could, you could say that, right. I think, um, complimentary football about an offense, helping a defense, you know, does our offense score too fast? Well, uh, that's okay. Let's keep scoring fast. As long as we're scoring, does our defense, um, you know, make stops and then 
not get rewarded for that. Yeah, that happened. Um, there weren't a ton of special teams, but there were probably two plays on punts that were interesting. But yeah, it, it felt like, you're right, a complete loss in all phases of the game where there were enough good plays, there was enough meat on the bone, you left looking at it feeling like that was a winnable game. Uh, I don't know, however, that it was more than the Oklahoma or Oklahoma State game, that it was more spread. I, I think in all three of those, there probably was blame to be passed around, but you could point the finger a little bit at one unit more than the other maybe but this just felt frustrating this just this was one of those that every game is its own lens and through the lens we mentioned it on our immediate post game of a team that's going through its second rebuild in like the past five years basically as you know post Bryles rebuild post Matt Rule rebuild um, and is you know careening towards a big 12 championship in in year two of the latest regime it kind of makes you a little bit frustrated for the why not us. You, you look at Texas and what is, you know, what year number 10 of a rebuild, basically, um, you know, where multiple stops and starts and it just makes it frustrating. And, and again, I say that, but I also couch it in. This is year one of the Sark rebuild. So give him the opportunity. Now, does that mean opposing fans don't, you know, can't, can't, Take shots. They can't. They deserve to. We're not winning games. It's their right. Uh, weather it. Keep your head up. Try not to let it get to you too much and remember that um, so far, Steve, uh, basically Sark has brought in one player who is his objectively. This is my guy. I had to get him. And Xavier Worthy looks pretty good. So let's let him get some more of his guys that do the things that he likes. Um, and, and, you know, I think this could be an entirely different team in two years. But uh, it's hard to wait. It is not fun to wait. I'm not a patient person. And I think the reason why it's so frustrating, both holistically on the year in and this game specifically, is that you can see the moments where there's a great team underneath all the crap. Mm -hmm. Like there's a really good team and there's a really good nucleus of what is what is going to be or could be if given enough time to develop and given the right pieces, a really, really successful football team. We saw a defense even that on three consecutive drives late in the second half got off the field in different ways. They they. They forced a stop and they they Baylor missed a field goal. They forced a turnover. They had to turn over on downs. I'm like, but then the offense couldn't do anything with it. Conversely, the the offense put together a couple of drives and they had a really couple of successful drives and, and they were able to put up points and move the ball effectively. And then you also see fourth year players making boneheaded plays on back to back drives and back to back plays on the second drive. And so there there's that duality that makes it frustrating. And I think when we started the season, a lot of the, the predictions were, you know, eight and four, seven and five type season for Texas. Right. But I think the reason why we're frustrated now looking at four and four is that we can legitimately see seven and one. Yeah. Like I could, I could point to there's a win, there's a win, there's a win. And Texas is in a completely different situation. And if you take the names off the jerseys and, and whatever curse currently is placed on Texas, the probability, the more likely thing is probably seven and one than four and four out of these outcomes, right? It, I mean, probably split the difference six and two or, or, or five and three, the most likely, but four and four is almost the least likely out of those outcomes that they would lose all three of these games in, in the same fashion, again, with a bye week in there to try to get some things right. It just, it, it, it boggles the mind. And so that, that absolutely lends itself to frustration because the, the closeness of each of these games and look, we were coming off of what was it four combined wins last year of 13 points. You know, we, Texas unfortunately has gotten used to losing close games uh, or the one, or should say the games they lose being close. Um, so it, that doesn't make it any better, but it is frustrating because to think that 
the full OU collapse, the the Oklahoma State comeback, and then again just the defense doing enough, the offense leaving a lot in the second quarter, the defense standing backbone in the second quarter, and then really just kind of wearing down a bit. Even still, remember that the, the goal for this defense was 20 points a game. I mean, until the, the late exclamation point touchdown, uh, they had given up 24, you know, so they were about on – uh, on par, you know, the, for an offense, you imagine if you're giving up 20, your offense is scoring 30, you, you, you win games that way. Your offense scores 40, you win a lot more games. So your offense scores 24, man, you're really putting a lot on your defense. So I, I think Gerald hit it off at the top that you could find an angle for why each of the offensive coordinators or, or Sark and his defensive coordinator, whoever it is, walks in and, and says, okay, it's my fault. Or, or, or starts it and says, it's your fault. I hope the accountability is they're saying it's my fault because they, they both have legitimate cases that, that it is both of their fault. And I think on the flip side, there's a world and a conversation to be had about the fact that Sark schemed probably somewhere in the range of 35 to, you know, 42 points that were just left on the field. And and there's that thing as well. And that's part of the conversation as well that, that we're having is like Sark wasn't out there dropping passes. Sark wasn't out there dropping a pass that turned into an interception on a drive that's going to give you points before half. Sark didn't drop a touchdown pass on the drive before. Sark didn't miss a wide open receiver and kind of throw a back footer. Sark isn't throwing back footers every play because he's got people in his face, right? Like that there's there's part of that that falls on the players just not executing. And so there's always that tool that that dual edged sword of like how can the coach get the players to execute better, but also there's only so much a coach right. can do to get players to execute, especially and Sark alluded to it in his Monday presser, and and I was I, I I felt really vindicated. He mentioned specifically like the the offensive line recruiting and that how when they got here there were only two offensive linemen in the class and that's pretty unprecedented. And so he's alluding to the fact that there are some gaps in the team and, and obviously there's some of that is may come off as excuse making, but anybody who's got a set of eyes and pays attention to recruiting knows that Texas doesn't necessarily have all the horses in the barn to be successful. Gerald, we're getting we're getting slightly off topic, but I don't mind it because uh, I, I want to <laughs> do this exercise with you. If you had to pick two out of the three NFL players, who you know one uh, one is hurt, one is an injury away from starting uh, at a key position, uh, basically, and Sam Ellinger, Joseph Osai, and Sam Cosme, and you had to take two of them and put them on this team and find let's call it two or three more wins on the schedule. Uh, am I crazy to think that the first draft pick out of there is Sam Cosme and the second one is Joseph Osai? And that's no knock on Sam, who we love. I'm absolutely with you on that. I think Sam, I, I would take Sam Cosme twice, but that being <laughs> sure, said, um, sure. like, yeah, if you pick those three guys, Sam Cosme and Joseph Osai are, are one and two. And I think we're seeing a lot of that. And there's, and this will, well, this will come up again in bang the drum. We're not necessarily having good faith arguments about Sark and, and Herman and where that's at. And we'll talk about it later, but let's dive in on Baylor specifically. And we'll start with the offense just because I put it first in the rundown and I don't want to have to scroll up uh, 382 total yards 280 passing a season low 102 rushing yards and I say they're second only I think to Rice as far as carries uh Bijan Dave Aranda came in and knew what he wanted to do and knew what he had uh, as an advantage and he did not want Bijan Robinson to beat him and he shut him down 17 carries is the second lowest this year um the only 
output lower was Rice, and he didn't play the second half against Rice uh, for just 43 yards, uh, which is um, a career low for games that like he played significant minutes in, right? Uh, and then two and a half yards per carry is a career low. It's also, weirdly enough, his lowest offensive usage rate of the season at just 25%. So there's a little bit to be said about like what was the, like Aranda very clearly said, I'm going to make somebody else other than Bijan Robinson beat us. And Texas had some plays dialed up to do that. Casey Thompson, again, played a solid outing, 23 of, of 38 for 282 touchdowns. And the interception goes next to his name, but it's not necessarily his fault. Uh, Josh Moore, who fumbled in the red zone the drive before, then dropped a touchdown and then had a ball go through his hands that was very catchable for a first down that turned into an interception, was nearly a pick six. And so it seemed the the, the game plan for... Dave Aranda worked and Sark had the counterattack dialed up, but Texas couldn't necessarily execute on it. I mean, Sark talked about it a lot in his press conference, right? You want to be an offense that, that you make the defense pick their poison. And, and in this game, Aranda, absolutely. If you're following that logic, picked his poison. It said, beat us with the pass and Texas couldn't. And I don't know that you, in any, any way, look at that game and say, yeah, it was Casey Thompson's fault. I don't know if you, if you do that, I know that you, you aren't particularly, honest or objective or, or just smart about football. It's one of those three. Uh, but no one who knows what they are talking about and is honest is saying that, right? I don't think Casey Thompson was by far the worst. In fact, pro football focus at him is the highest graded offensive player on the field. I, I don't think the 15 incompletions he had is indicative in any way of his passing performance. I would argue uh, that, that, you know, at least probably six to eight of those were drops. We know for sure there was four of those that are just flat out drops but there was there was probably another four passes that he put with uh you know on on key downs where at the at the moving the chains distance where they they bounced off guys hands uh or, or you know scrambled to make a play and, and put it up and the receiver couldn't finish you know there you could take probably let's call it just just eight off the top and call it a 23 for 32 82 touchdowns and no interceptions because he didn't throw an interception josh moore uh bopped a, an interception up in the air to a defensive back right so is that a is that a, an elite day from Casey Thompson? Maybe not. Uh, he did no. you know miss a throw to Xavier Worthy that could have been a touchdown that could have shifted things. Sure, okay, I get it. Um, but he also you know he he scrambled uh, a couple times on some big plays and, and turned something into nothing. Right, his he probably was more effective rushing in his three times that he really earnestly did it than Bijan was because it's different when you have a defense dropping back on their heels versus gunning eight guys to flow wherever Bijan's going. Right, um, so I, I thought Casey Thompson honestly had a pretty good game. I thought he, yeah. you know, the two turnovers that we had were on third downs that would have been conversions had they not happened, you know, to, and mm -hmm. both that receiver's fault, right? The, the drop touchdown in the end. I mean, there was multiple, multiple, multiple plays that if they go the other way and Texas pulls this out, then we're talking about a gutsy Casey Thompson performance to pull them through to the win. He would have been the reason that they won. Uh, unfortunately, I don't get how because the defense gave up an extra touchdown that he became the reason they lost. So I don't understand that logic, but I, I walk away from this saying Casey had a good game. Casey played fine. And, and, you can find throws that he missed, and that's fine, sure, right? Sure. There, there, there were two throws that I think significant that he missed, but if the other throws that he made had been catches, then we're not talking about those those missed throws. Right? We knew, I think, we knew going in that there were limitations to Casey Thompson. We knew that going into the yes. season. It's it's why it. Let's rewind game one. He was not the starter. 
And I think the limitations to Casey Thompson and Sark kind of weighed the options of what Casey brings to the table and what, what um, Hudson Carr bring to the table and, and chose the quarterback with a limited arm. Sure. Right, he he made that choice because of what Casey brings to the table versus what Hudson can do right now, and so we have to live with that. And there's a there's there's a lot of not necessarily um, well thought through arguments about making a quarterback switch, whether it's like the season's lost, so just see what you have with the backup quarterback. The season's not necessarily lost because four and eight is way worse than seven and five or eight and four. So right. definitely the season's not lost. Eight and four is a disaster and I fire everybody in, from a cannon into the sun is how I feel if we're looking at four and eight. So like that's not necessarily a good argument to have. And again, Casey did miss some throws, but the wide receivers also missed some very catchable balls. And so that to me, again, we're not having this conversation. If a six two wide receiver comes back to the ball, wins a 50-50. Right, we're not having this conversation. Marcus and and I I love Marcus Washington. I think he's one of the most underrated players on the team. He's the most willing and able blocker on the mm-hmm. team, and he's a young guy with not a ton of game reps. And he did not make he did not make the the play that we again Texas hasn't made in in years. And so that to me doesn't scream of quarterback failure or need to make a change sure. in the quarterback. And, and maybe again, you and I have have been accused of being sunshine pumpers, but I think in this case it's pragmatism. We know what where Casey is, and we've seen where Hudson was. And I don't know if the things that the reasons why you pulled Hudson card are changed sitting on the bench. I don't know if the development happens. I, I completely agree with you, Gerald. I think you know the the the, the four big catches for for Xavier Worthy. There's the one that could have been right for Josh Moore. Five catches uh, did have the touchdown on a really you know well thrown, hard thrown RPO glance uh, for the the on third down in the red zone on the first touchdown, right? And, and more pulled that one in everything basically after that I think he had six more targets and caught two of them and one of them was a fumble you know just just uh, okay I'm, I'm not here to it's not my job to rag on a receiver but you know it needs to be said uh, we know Washington is is not the fastest receiver or the the most complete receiver I think that there's some some the willingness you said and some some of the, the flashes you see that there's a good receiver in there especially a four-year receiver who what he can be as a senior uh, Brewer and and Wiley both kind of were safety valve options Bijan had had one catch that set up the touchdown basically got him to the, the half yard line that he punched in um, so there's not a lot in the passing game honestly if you just look purely from stats that you, you look at Jordan Whittington missing there and, and that his his name just even though it's not written uh, is written in invisible ink all over this one that's that's yeah. the, the the name that could have been right the, the seven catches for Marcus Washington you imagine some of those go to uh, and even more, some of the, the targets that he had go to Whittington, who, even though he had a, a, at least one game with some some catching issues, you you knew uh, he was a playmaker and 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 had strong hands, even if you know he he dropped the occasional one. I just but but that shows you how thin that Texas is at a, at a position that in a yeah. Sarkeesian offense you can't be right. Mm-hmm. Quarterback, we talk about it. Mac Jones, whatever he can do with quarterbacks, for, for as much credit as the quarterbacks get, Steve Sarkeesian's offenses thrive on big play receivers. As is, is you know yep. that that's maybe the more important component. And as he said, also tight ends who can do multiple things and offensive lines could block. So a lot of those are missing from the stew that, that Sarkeesian ultimately wants. So I think, it, you know, B- Baylor, to their credit, was, was I think, uh, in the stat sheet credited with seven pass breakups. The, a lot of those passes, they were they were converging on receivers and made it tough and knocked the ball out, right, or, or made plays. Um, but I think to talk about the receivers, to talk about the quarterback, you also have to talk about the offensive line, which took a step up, zero sacks. I will take that. But that does not mean that Casey wasn't having to step up in pockets, wasn't almost tripped in pockets, wasn't have to make plays with his feet 60% of the time at least. 
there's a lot of talk about bad footwork or throwing off the back foot, but Casey played with a lot of hands in his face. Like the Xavier Worthy miss that you just mentioned, like that was a kind of off of his back foot. There was a four man rush and, and he just wasn't able to put anything in it, but he got hit as he threw it because again, the offensive line was unable to hold up and, it's weird pro football focus. And again, we, we I've taken shots at their grades before they graded out the tackles as having a, a, a incredible game. And I didn't necessarily see it. Texas really beat the inside of the coverage and it's unfair to ask a freshman to block a 350 pound grad transfer. Uh, so again, this is why we've talked about the, the indictment that you and I have made on the previous staff and their inability. Zach Shackelford gave you three years and you couldn't find a center. And so now Jake Majors, who I like, and I think he's going to be a really good center, is playing at least a year, if not two years before he should be playing. You should not be playing redshirt freshman offensive lineman. That's just the world we live in. As wild as it is what Xavier Worthy has come in and done as a freshman receiver, if we had a freshman or even, even you know, uh, second year majors played what it's called a let's call it now basically a full year a half a season and now a half a season uh if you have a guy months away from his high school graduation you know uh if you're counting it in months the offensive line development curve is just so much longer you just you you, it is all about the healthy pipeline right it's about uh, if you work in any company that has a sales capacity, right, whatever you're delivering on is great, but you're always constantly looking at what's in the pipeline because you have to be looking at what's next or else you'll go under, right? And and that's basically what Sark said when, hey, there's two guys in this class. That's not good. It's not only bad this year. The pipeline is also rotten. And that's not to speak to any of the players who came in, but you just want more players because offensive line is the hardest to grade, the hardest to develop, the hardest to project. It needs the most time in the developmental stew. And so if you get behind the curve on that, you're playing catch up. And the sad thing is, is it feels like Texas has had a decade to, to diagnose this and say, we're playing catch up in this position. You know, we had a year where we started the season with two career starts. Um, I think Dama Espinosa went down and we had two starts on the line at the, that point, right? It's It's this has been a problem for a while. And you think, although we've put some guys in the NFL at that position, and that's amazing. We have not addressed the systemic problem of getting the right guys in, knowing you're going to miss on one or two a year. So you get three others and then you develop the ones who have the, the, you know, the high floor and you can get in there early versus the guy who takes two years, but has the high ceiling. Like that's, we talked about it with Mike Roach when he came on and talked to the recruiting side. We, we've talked with Coach Zajac when he came on. It feels like we've talked a lot about offensive line, but we can't stop talking about it until it's not the biggest issue that limits the best running back in college football, not being able to get a touch, and you know a, a good passing offense with, with a, one of the best play callers in college football. Like Both of those things are hindered because of this point of attack. You know, I, I talked about it in my Inside the Numbers piece, like – Bijan was unnecessarily limited because of the offensive line. I be, it was uh, like I think seven of his carries were for three yards or fewer, and a lot of those are just because he's better than anybody else on the field, so he can make things happen. I think he had like five that were for either a loss, no gain, or one yard. Like that's just again, if you can give Bijan even a little bit of space, we've seen what he can do. And so like the offensive line continuing to struggle is, is just absolutely frustrating to me. It's it's because again, that's really where we can see Texas's ability or inability to make plays because on, on, 
plays where Casey is able to stand and make a read and potentially have both feet on the freaking ground to make a throw, he can he can put a ball where it needs to go. But if he's off his back foot throwing it across the field because he had to roll out too early to a receiver that's clearing across just trying to make some space, that's good, that's not the play that there are probably of the hundred and what thirty two FBS teams, there are probably ten quarterbacks that could make that throw with any sort of pop on it, and that to me is is not a Casey thing. It's it's indicative of the the greater problem with the offense that. That is in the trenches. We could beat that horse to death, but B. John Robinson is, is without a doubt, if not the best, let's call him one of the top three at worst running backs in the country. He, his long of nine, single digit long, came on the last drive, the last scoring drive, I should say, when Baylor started dropping because they, they knew Texas was going to pass. And if you notice, they drove down until it, it got in the red zone and they clenched up and, and they ended up getting a field goal. Uh, but basically, because Baylor had to respect and, and kind of anticipate the pass. Bijan got one run. I think it was first down. That was nine yards. Casey threw the ball pretty well on that drive also. It, it all went to show you if a defense drops back against this offense, even when they know the pass is coming, that for 60 yards was a really effective drive that, that kind of just flowed down the field, uh, both running and passing. And you see, oh, you know, defenses know that. Defensive coordinators are smart. Dave Aranda is certainly smart. Bring pressure on Casey. Get pressure on Bijan. You might give up a couple bombs to Xavier Worthy because he's that fast, but you might anyway. So why not play the odds? And every defense we see, including next week, we'll talk about it, is going to do that the rest of the year. They're not stupid. The Big 12 coordinators are not dumb. But I think the thing that we have to talk about here, Gerald, when we talk about the offense, if you if you zoom out and look at the whole game is the third downs. And that, that's on the offensive line as much as it is anyone else. But the, to be holistic, 3 for 14 on the day, uh, average to go of 7.2 just putting yourself behind the chains not a great idea and both of their turnovers came on third down again uh the uh the the, the fumble was after what would have been a converted third down uh and the interception was would have been a converted third down if he didn't let it bounce off his face mask or whatever to, to launch it into the air for almost a pick six uh but you know it, it, when you can't run the ball when you're not giving yourself third and shorts, it's real hard to convert those. Even on the mediums or the ones that Bijan can usually pick up and back to Bijan, right? Like because the offensive line just got beat like a drum, he had five third down carries and he had just 10 yards, which he didn't convert on any of those those third downs. Now, granted, one of them was – and we can – I don't know if we want have the time to go into this, but like that first drive where Texas had like a, a, a first down penalty and got behind the chains and it seemed like Sark just said, screw it. I'm not going to waste any of my game script on this drive because we're already screwed on it. So like that third and 20 situation is not what I really truly want to count, but because that also pulls down the, the average yards to go pretty significantly. But like, again, and that's weird to me that like Sark didn't want to dial anything up, uh, he just ran the ball three times. And I, I I was sitting in the moment. I was like, that's just a weird sequence. It felt like a, it felt like a surrender drive in the first quarter, but you know, over the last three games, Texas is four of 12, four of 13, and now three of 14. So 33%, 30.7%, now 21.4% on third down. So it's the, the diminishing returns are diminishing and overall in losses, Texas is 15 of 62 on third down. So 24%. You look at the wins, they're up above 60%, 33 of 54. And granted, those wins are against, you know, Louisiana, who they're, they've won every game since they lost to Texas. So that's, that's ranked, ranked Louisiana. Yeah. So is that like the quality win of the year? So you've got Louisiana, Rice, 
Tech and TCU. So I guess Louisiana or maybe Louisiana is the one who hasn't fired their coach. Uh, exactly. Rice. Right. <laughs> yeah. Louisiana and Rice haven't fired their coach. So like, I guess Louisiana is the quality win on that. But like that to me is the glaring thing. That to me is 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 the the bat in the belfry, the whatever you want to call it. But it's the thing that like screams to me like this needs attention and this needs to change before anything will and can change. The last point on this, because we need to talk about our defense at some length as well. Three for 14 on third, one for five on fourth. <laughs> out of those conversions, four of them out of, let's call it 20, 19. Um, they did have a third down conversion on a penalty. So there you got a five out of 20 if you count the penalty. Uh, one was a penalty. Two were the the wildcat. So again, having Bijan in the backfield and not giving him the ball because the defense is flowing to it. Uh, and then two passes. Uh, there would have been, again, two more on passes that were turned into interception. But that's tough. That's I mean, when, when your wildcat is your most consistent way to move it. I, again, I like that we have it, but... It, 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 I hate that we would have to resort to that to be able to convert anything. I, I was glad we got it on the fourth down that we did uh, on that drive. It was the, the 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 third touchdown drive basically in the in the third quarter. Uh, they went for it on 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 fourth twice. Once is the wildcat. Once they they got the Bijan touchdown on fourth down of that same drive. But they also converted. Marcus Washington had a catch on. Uh, on third down and went for 22 yards converted after they had another of those first down penalties to make it first and 15, but this time they had to get it. So they went, got two third down conversions and got a, had to go uh, on fourth twice to get it. So it's, uh, or excuse me, one third down conversion had to go for fourth twice to get it, but they got it. And and that's the type, if you're on fourth and ones, I feel a lot better about it. I, we, we have a bunch of wrinkles where we can do different things, but when you're in, in third and nines, it's tough. It, it, it is It is not putting yourself in a position to win when the defense can pin their ears back against that offensive line. And Casey's going to have to face, you know, a, a defense that isn't going to give him anything short and make him have something long where, you know, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, you have a guy hitting you. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's it's not a winning formula. And, and I think Sark knows that. And I, I just truly don't know what changes until they have another year to, to, to switch some things up. Uh, that to me is like, where the Texas purgatory has has continued or has has really worsened. Like I think why Texas is stuck in purgatory is offensive line recruiting for the last decade is really where it points out through for for you know for every and even a guy like Sam Cosme who was a three star coming in, right? Like Texas has found uh some guys that that they were able to strike rich on, but I don't necessarily know if it was anything that Texas did to do that. And so Texas will continue to remain in this offensive purgatory until they can shore things up in the offensive line and, and will We'll talk about the defense on the other side of the break, but I just don't know if that relief is going to come this year. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. After what a downer ending to the offensive discussion, uh, we do have to switch to the defense. Uh, gave up 427 total yards, but, you know, giving up 
31 points in a Big 12 game is usually a decent outing for most defenses. 228 passing, 199 rushing. Again, a lot of bending but not breaking, at least early in the game, uh, from Pete Kwiatkowski's unit. But the ground game was, uh, once again, gashed late in the game. Running back Abram Smith, 20 carries, 113 yards, and a touchdown. 32 of his 113 came on one draw, on one play where he had a cutback, and there was a couple of, of uncalled holding penalties on that play but we'll leave that there um but here's what he said after the game this is this is what was telling to me is he was asked about the the texas's defensive philosophy and he said if you're gonna do that and by that he means continue to play two safeties high then we're just gonna run over you we've all seen it we've all been complaining about it on twitter but now the opposing running back is saying and he also pointed out that the cutbacks were there because the texas linebackers were over pursuing on the to the front side of the play so he was able to really kill it on the backside and so that to me is is like a, a damning quote almost like that to me is like if if you if if that is said about your defense then something needs to change like sooner rather than later and and again the the defense we saw what it looked like optimized early uh, you know in the second half those those kind of three drives where texas was able to get off the field they were really able to because the Pete Kwiatkowski defense is built on no gain on first down. You stop them in the run on first down. You put them behind the change. You make them go to second and long, third, and then they they go to third and long. You can dial up pressure and you get off the field. And so when it worked well, it worked really well. But again, in in crunch time, when when your front is tired, when your defense is tired, when your linebackers are struggling with eye discipline because they're gassed, it's going off the rails. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely feels like so in, the, in this rushing year, 199 yards rushing, like you said, 32 of it on, on kind of a end of the game cutback play where, you know, Coburn got there but couldn't make the tackle. There was maybe some hold and then probably the last 15 yards of that he was running in kind of, a, you know, Argentinian tango um, with with BJ Foster. They were step, step, chop, step, step, chopping all the way the last 10 yards. And instead of tackling, Foster continued to dance with him again. Um, I get why Foster threw his helmet on the sideline uh, after that. But, um, you know, I would say out of the 199, I'd have to do just, just on, a, on a guess, right? Because I think I, saw, I remember four, maybe even five gash plays um, that were the speed option. It felt like anytime they wanted, they always had a script too. After the speed option, they went with the short field, short side, short pitch. And Texas stopped it every single time. But they would give up let's call it 15 yards on average on that speed option. And that speed option on two third down conversions, it was the option play. That was that was Baylor's anytime we need it, we can get it, but let's not overuse it play. But I still think out of their 199, let's call it at least 40 of that was on the speed option. And another 30 of that was on the last, uh, last run of the game. So take those out and you basically give up 120 yards to the, one of the best rushing offenses in the country across the rest of the game. That's a pretty good performance from the defense. I mean, uh, they have two really decent backs and a really good line and a well-coached offense. Um, and honestly, you know, again, take, take the, when the back was broken, you know, the defense giving up that, that late touchdown uh, off the board and you're, you're pitching a 24 point game at that point, you know, giving up 150 yards rushing. That's yeah. yes. Did they get gashed? Sure. Sure. But did they, did they close down on some third downs? Did they have a fourth down stop? Yeah. Yeah. They did some things well, uh, I, I do think Overshone is a guy whose who's first half stats or second half stats are going to be interesting to look at at the end of the year. Just a lot more tackles, a lot more big plays. It, it seems like he might be a guy who plays with so much heart and intensity and is asked to do so much in this defense uh, that, you know, 
he's gonna he he always flashes so much on my rewatches in the first half that I'm like, whoa, what a game he had. And then in the second half, it's it's not always as much. But you know, again, I'm not gonna just rag individual players because I think again. This was always going to be a challenge. Holding them under 200 yards, even though they have 199, still pretty good day uh, considering how good. I, 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 skewed standards, I get it. But considering how good Baylor had been uh, kind of typically leading into this one, um, running the football, I, I, hate, I can't be too, too hard on them because they got turnovers. They, they, they stopped some key, key downs. I think they did some good things otherwise. So it, it, is, it is heartbreaking that they weren't able to pull that one out. And, and that to me is like the frustrating part because again, the defense played really well in, in a lot of spurts. And if the offense was able to give them any sort of support, then, then we would potentially have a different outcome, but we have to talk about it. If you told me that going into the game that I would not only hit on my Bohannon interception pod Stradamus, but they would get two of a guy that had thrown one going into the game. Mm-hmm. I think Texas wins by two scores. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think that Texas and, and Bo Hannon had his, I think objectively worst game of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he thrown one interception before he, he by 200%, a uh, 300% uh, increased his interception rate. He threw two interceptions, uh, both in the first half, one, um, Really, both of them were just like Texas had the right scheme called up. Texas had it schemed up perfectly. They were in, they were kind of disguising that they were in his passing lanes. And then all of a sudden, when the ball came out of his hand, you know, Brockermeyer popped in there. I think it's incredible that that um, uh, Luke Brockermeyer has 33% of Bohannon's interceptions on the year. Uh, but like, Texas kind of did what it needed to do against Bohannon in the in the passing game, which is why it's frustrating to sit here and talk about the defensive struggles against the run. Because again, if, I, if you had shown me the stat line from Bohannon before the game, I would say Texas wins by two scores. Yeah, I mean, and there's two fumbles that they put on the ground that Texas didn't recover. Just the fact that, you know, Texas scored some points. I wish they would have scored more, but scored some points off turnovers, got two interceptions, you know, stopped that offense. Uh, yeah, took Tyquan Thornton, their best receiving option, effectively out of the game. He did a little bit, but a lot of their stuff came on, you know, um, kind of – early downs when they decided to throw it uh, instead of run it, and and they were able to gas Texas with a secondary or tertiary receiver. R.J. Snead was their leading receiver. Again, he was their second receiver, but but you thought Tyquan Thornton had numbers like a world beater uh, coming into this one. So, um, you know, the fact that outside of one 23-yard catch, they held him to to 30 yards in the game, you know, yeah, you're right. That that looks like a winning formula. And, And... 226 of their total yards in offense, over 50%, came on explosive plays, rushes over 10 or passes over 15. I mean, you can chalk a lot of it up to some gash runs, some big play. Um, honestly, a lot of that is, is you know, like I talked about, those, those rush speed options and, and just a couple um, – big passes, but not that many. There was a fourth and five. They, they got on a slant that I wish we would have been anywhere near that led to the, the rushing touchdown that Bohannon had. But, it, you know, it, it just – I thought the defense in the passing game especially did enough. The fact that they tried to get cute and they came out of the game throwing two straight passes and Texas picked the second one off, that's, that's great. I thought, wow, what a start. Baylor just – tried to come out and flip the script on Texas. Everyone knows Baylor's going to run, throw it twice, had a 10-yard gate, but then the second one gets picked. Oh, man, Texas is going to be in, in that coordinator, in that quarterback's head. And, and 
to some extent, they were for a little while. I mean, the second quarter, they they dominated them. I mean, they just honestly, that, if that second quarter goes different for both sides of the game, if we make points on what the defense held, I don't know if Baylor comes back or has the ability, the way they play the game, to come back in the second half. Absolutely. I think, again, I'm so mad that, that I was right, but I tweeted at the end of the first half, I really hope Texas doesn't miss the 14 points they left on the field. I knew it was going to happen. Because we'd seen it twice before. Like Texas leaving points on the field in the first half, and it comes back to bite him in the keister. And, and so that to me, again, and this is, I think, and this goes back to the offense, but like the if the offense can land the knockout blow, then the defense can pin their ears back. And so if the and this defense, and I'll just go with if this defense, and we've seen it, if this defense knows what you're going to be doing, they are absolutely going to shut you down. PK, but for all the faults that, that we have talked about, and there are some, like when he when he is able to get into his bag like he has a couple of times, he is he is a sharp dude and he can call a heck of a defense. And so again, if the offense Play, hits that knockout blow in the first half. If if either of those last two drives of the first half end in points, Texas probably has them on the mat coming out, and Baylor has to air it out. And we saw what Texas was able to do when Bohannon was the focal point of the offense. And so that, to me, is the differentiator and why the defense struggled, because the offense was unable to give them any reward for making big stops. Yeah, and, and again, not to harp on too much of one sequence, but you look at that second quarter. After the big pass, yep. the 63-yarder to Xavier, where they go up 14-10, they have the momentum. Defense comes out, gets a fourth and long, make them you know, in a purgatory zone where they decided to try a 51-yard field goal they obviously missed. And so you have 14-10, you just forced a turnover or a missed field goal to get the ball back. If you go up 21-10... Okay, but so they weren't able to do anything, get the momentum. So what does the defense do? Fourth and one stop. Next next series, fourth and nine, force a punt. Next series, interception. And then the final series of the second quarter, they defended a Hail Mary at halftime after the unfortunate interception. But basically their second quarter is is four fourth down stops, defending a Hail Mary and an interception on six drives. That's like, I don't know that you can ask a defense to do more than that. I mean, the, and again, if Texas is able to turn that into 28-10, I don't, like you said, I don't think there's any chance the second half plays out the way it did. I, I just don't, I don't think there's any way the second half looks anything like what we ended up seeing. And so again, who do you blame it on? You kind of can put it on both, right? If, if on a fake punt, we'll talk about, you know, if your defense can have a backbone right there and make a stop and, and keep the momentum from sliding, maybe maybe they give more. And, and there have been years when, when Texas defense have absolutely been ridden like a dog and had to rise up, and we've won games only because our defense when our offense was putrid. First year, Todd Orlando, we had multiple games like that. I mean, honestly, with, with each of our coordinators, there have been games, if not stretches of games like that, where we rode the defense when our offense had stretches where they just couldn't execute. But – to me, the more I talk and think about this one, I, I think this is maybe one of those games, even though the defense was flawed, was not perfect, gave up 200 yards rushing, let's not forget. But I, I still think in a Big 12, when you're expecting to score points, when you know there's good running backs in this conference, maybe the best running backs in the country. I mean, we don't talk about that enough, that yeah. the evolution of Big 12 offensive philosophy, but there's some great running backs, probably eight or nine of them in, in the 10-team conference. So... It is, it is, yet again, I end each, each segment, each section saying, frustrating. 
absolutely frustrating. And special teams was almost not frustrating. And then we saw the fake punt. Uh, like, neither team made any noise in the return game, which we expected. We talked about it, how, you know, Texas... Texas's advantage as far as return game is negated by the fact that Baylor is an incredible kicking team, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm not shocked that Baylor has an incredible kicking unit. Uh, Dicker was fine, both as a punter and, and as a kicker. He made made all of his extra points, made the one field goal he's asked to. Uh, three, you know, three punts for an average of 45. He bailed Texas out offensively on one drive early in the game where they could not. I think it was that same third and 20 where where Texas didn't do anything and it looked like Baylor was going to get really significant plus field position and he just booted that thing and he didn't entirely flip the field but the defense didn't have to play with the heels on the goal line for the entire uh, entirety of that drive and that was huge uh, and so Cameron Dicker it's it sucks to me that the entirety of a honestly pretty solid game from Cameron Dicker is overshadowed by Texas putting the special teams out there to go for it on fourth down. Right. Fake punts are fine, but in that situation, you leave the offense on the field to go for a fourth down because asking a punter to make the read. And then it's it's an RPP. Op it's like a run pass punt option. <laughs> and. I think he made he definitely clearly made the wrong read. There was right. nothing for him, there was nothing for him to pass. There was no space for him to run. So I was I wish he had made the call to punt it. Now we can say bad call to dial up fake punt and then Dicker made a bad call to try to make something. And I love the the idea that he wanted to make a play, but I think the right play, the smart play is to boot that. And that's again there's a he had a great game except for. Yeah, and, and look, at that point, I think they were down three. He's trying so hard to, to make the play. You think? I think his immediate punt before that was one where he got creamed uh, yep. on, on and, and maybe could have been a roughing the punter to flip that. I don't know, but got a punt away still, which I thought was an incredible play by him. And so, you know, when he doesn't see someone in his face the, the way he had before as he was, again, snuck, I still don't know how he got it out of there, snuck a punt out uh, the last time. It's like, okay, maybe maybe they're dropping back to return this and, and you know, they have dangerous returners. Uh, maybe there, there is a lane. And, and, again, he had someone spying him. It wasn't going to work. But just that split second that he, he says, ooh, ooh, you know, maybe I have it. And, and I understand that. I understand the kid wanting to, to, to make the play. I mean, I, I, I completely get it. It was the wrong call by him and probably by the coaching staff, but I yep. get it. But, they, you know, I don't think the game changed on a fake punt. I don't think that was the single thing. It, was, it certainly could be a piece of the equation, but I don't think that – I don't think we should blame this loss on Dicker by any by any means, no. especially, again, like you said, when he, he got a punt out that he got absolutely crushed. Again, I, I still think probably should have been a penalty, um, but that flipped 60 yards and, and absolute points on the fact that that didn't happen or didn't get even blocked even uh, besides not getting the penalty. So um, speaking of penalties, an interesting thing in this one, only five all game four against Texas, but uh, Baylor in, in the most damning one was of course the one on the second drive when it got him behind the chains and just basically scrapped a possession for them uh, on a game where possessions you know, mattered. Um, but then one on Baylor for 10 yards on the final uh, drive of the game when they had a holding very clearly uh, penalty to convert. Uh, but you know, only one penalty on Baylor. We talked about it. They had zero against BYU. The refs, to their credit, just didn't call a lot this game, and that's fine. Uh, they were relatively consistent. Um, but, you know, it, you look at the special teams and kind of the, the hidden yards, and it's not there. I mean, this is a game that really was straight-up offense versus defense, Baylor versus UT, and Baylor won. And that's all we could say about it is Baylor won it, Texas lost it, and, and that's where we're at. And 
and I think it's a testament to Baylor being a good team is that when the wheels could have come off, they they kept them from coming off, where Texas is not quite a good team yet, where the wheels were coming off and they ne- couldn't necessarily keep them from coming off. So a quick Podstradamus update. We're currently sitting with, again, what, four regular season games left. Kyle is up 12 to 9. Kyle's predictions uh, that he missed was not a one-possession game, but he did have that Texas would hold Baylor under 200 yards rushing you. Uh, got that in there, I think, based off of kneel downs, but that's either here. No, 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 no. If you take the kneel downs, it's 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 only like 190 yards. It's 199, okay. excluding kneel downs. Okay, okay, okay. That would have um, been the, the all-time backdoor cover if I could have got that. I would be celebrating that, It would have been a weekend of not. double backdoor covers if anybody <laughs> was watching that Clemson one. Uh, what I missed on, I thought Bijan would get 125 on the ground, but I did say that Mr. Gary Bohannon would have an interception. We got that one off the board early and often come to find out but we'll see we'll be back on thursday with previewing our iowa state matchup and now it's the part of the show where we rip around the rest of campus very quickly and we down the 40 so we normally start with volleyball here but we got a shout out to the ladies in the postseason the texas soccer team after finishing the first ever undefeated season in school history the longhorns drew the number two seed because they uh, were behind tcu by one point but they knocked off ou in the quarterfinals five to to a hat trick from the young gun trinity buyers just a 15th hat trick in school history her 12th on the year gives her the sixth highest single season total for texas all time the ladies are looking like the, the the quick injection of talent has really flipped things around for them. And we talk a lot about the young core, but I want to shout out senior forward Mackenzie McFarland, who we've talked a lot about Trinity Byers. She's having a season to remember as a true freshman without a doubt. Uh, but Mackenzie McFarland scored her second brace in the last three matches for, for UT. Had a brace against a brace being two goals, if we're not soccer fanatics here. Uh, a pair of <laughs> goals is called a brace uh, against Oklahoma State. And then again, to do it against OU. So loves uh, punishing the state of Oklahoma. And coming on late, it makes Moment. it really dangerous. You know what Byer is, and she's getting better every match. But you have a senior who's stepping up. That really makes this tournament run and, and the ensuing NCAA tournament really, really interesting. Obviously, we know what freshman uh, Lexi Massimo is is capable of. She uh, she had three assists uh, in the five goals in this one. Now stands tied for the the uh, second most in an all, in a season all time uh, with thirteen. Uh, and, and speaking of lucky number thirteen, Texas now has a thirteen match unbeaten streak again all the way through uh big 12 play and including the the games before that tying the longest stretch in program history so this uh this is looking good the, the two scene horns will take on west virginia on thursday in the semifinals, and they they are positioned well with west virginia getting the upset to take on the six seed the, the seven and the six should put them in the driver's seat to get to the the big one and before we move on from soccer, you were shouting out some el- some elder states states people on the team. I want to shout out keeper Savannah Madden, who gave oh, up yeah. just three goals in all of the month of October, which is absolutely an incredible performance. And a lot of the reason why Texas is able to come out of conference unbeaten is the fact that she was 
essentially a brick wall for a big chunk of conference play. Number 14, cross country, takes third and fourth for the men and women, respectively, in the Big 12 championship. In Stillwater, Cruz Gomez had his best finish of the season to lead the Horns. And again, my friend, friend of the show, Half Two Night, joined Gomez on the All-Big 12 team with a 13th place finish. Number seven, women's golf placed seventh at the Landfall Invitational. Senior Sarah Kusakova tied for 12th individual standings at one under. That was the last of four tournaments for the ladies in the fall that will resume play in February. Baseball, getting back on the diamond. They scrimmaged McClendon Community College for 14 innings. They won 15-4. to four. Pete Hansen pitched two, struck out one, had a walk, one hit on 23 pitches. Uh, Zane Morehouse pitched two of those innings as well, four, hit, uh, four strikeouts, uh, one hit, and one walk. Uh, Jace Hutchins struck out two in one inning of service. Uh, offensively, Skylar Messenger went three for five with five uh, RBI and a home run. Um, I'm, I don't want to go through all these stats, but the the core from last year in these new additions, Kyle, seem to be um, really gelling. And it's hard to base it against, you know, community college beatdown. It's hard to gauge it, but but they looked like they were going to gel pretty well as things progress. Well, you, what you like to see is your pitcher, your your likely Friday night starter and Pete Hansen making that jump, uh, looking great. 23 pitches for two innings is hard to do in a video game. Um, Zane Morehouse and Jane Hutchins, uh, Jace Hutchins, excuse me, are two guys I wanted to shout out because they're both big power right-handers who struck out like crazy uh, at the JUCO level last year. They're both JUCO transfers, so they got some some run uh, in this one, and both look great. Uh, again, we talked about all the talent they already had on the roster. These were two guys we were a little bit unsure what they were going to bring this year. I don't know that they'll you know, pitch, uh, be the first names in either in the starting rotation or, uh, the first reliever in, but to know that you have those arms again, guys who, who were, uh, Zane Morehouse was dominant last year, the Juco, uh, level, just striking people out. But both of those guys came out looking good. And then, and, you know, Skylar messenger looks like, you know, we talked about Chris Beers, the portal pirate, maybe the, the most significant portal transfer, at least in the big 12, uh, from coming from Kansas where he was all conference last year to fill in that third base spot and just continues to rake in the fall ball. Again, it's fall, but you know, you want to shout out, they, they stole some, some bases, Eric Kennedy doing what he does. And, and Dylan Campbell, a guy who's really interesting. I think will play a lot, can, can do a lot of different things. He's fast. He, he had a double, he, he can just kind of do it all. So a lot of good names. Um, and then we'll, we'll get a little bit more. They actually updated the schedule today uh, when we're recording this Monday um, the new reflected schedule if you were planning to make it out for any of these games for the orange and white fall world series uh, Wednesday the third will be at 4 p.m. Friday the 5th 6 p.m. and then the final game Saturday, November 6th, 2 p.m. These are intra-squad scrimmages orange versus white of course so they're done until the spring playing other opponents. Uh, at the time of recording, Texas basketball is committing a crime against Texas Lutheran. They're up 85 to 31 with about seven minutes left to play, outscoring the Bulldogs 38 to 11 thus far in the second half. It's college football award season warming up, and no surprise, probably two of the most consistent players on the team. Uh, Bijan Robinson is named a finalist for the Maxwell Award. Potentially, he'll probably uh, look at a Doak Walker semifinalist within the next few days as well. And DeMarvian Overshow was named a Butkist Award semifinalist, proving that spinning down from safety sometimes works out really well. But now's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, 
What are we banging the drum on this week? My first half banging the drum is is I feel terrible about what they did to, to coach Mike Wacker with the Texas Lutheran Bulldogs. Uh, Wacker played at UT uh, in the 80s, late 80s, I believe, um, and is in the Longhorn Hall of Honor now coaching uh, down the road in Seguin, Texas. And uh, whew, that's that's not going to be a fun. That bus ride's probably only only 40 minutes home, but <laughs> whew, that's not going to feel good. Mike, I think hashtag unite the family is what the basketball team has been saying. And uh, hopefully they, they know it's, it's all love here. We're, we're just trying to win a national championship. But no, I am speaking of championships. I'm going to bang the drum on the biggest championship. Of course, you know, don't get bogged down in any one sport. We're looking for a director's cup uh, repeat. You know, we have a a crown to defend as the best athletics department uh, in the country. And I know we go heavy. We're a football school We're a football podcast. We have football fans. We could win literally a national championship in, in 15 sports. But if football isn't good, people will assume the year is bad. I just wanted to say a lot of what happens for Texas athletics is in the spring. If you look at the numbers, we are a spring sports school. And I know that's hard to swallow, but uh, we will basically probably count three sports football. We'll see. I would doubt it uh, maybe as the fourth sport, but three sports from the fall. We will count 15 from the spring volleyball at number one right now looks looks good we're counting that one we'll see if they can finish it off they were on by this week men's cross country number 14 is their highest ranking since 2013 uh, again finished third in the big 12 we'll see how they do uh, in the national cross country uh ncaa's uh and then soccer top 15 just getting hotter and hotter at the right time um we don't compete in a lot of the fall sports that that you know, other teams will count field hockey, water polo, men's soccer. We can't do anything about those, but we may only count three football may not be one of them, but look at, look ahead to the spring. Now there's a couple sports golf has started their season, both men's and women's basketball has, has, uh, will start their season in the fall, but it will count as a spring sport, uh, as obviously March madness and then swimming and diving again starts in the fall really gets heavy in the spring. So we've counted started a couple of them, but we still have rowing. We have tennis times too, which again, I guess technically is counted, not the team portion, but the individual portion um baseball softball uh four times track indoor and outdoor uh the only four sports that are mandatory to be counted in the director's cup volleyball which we are number one uh basketball men's and women's which we are preseason ranked number five and number 25 uh and baseball which again we're probably going to be about number number five i would guess when rankings uh are in full force for that so we're sitting pretty for this don't freak out the sky isn't falling uh we're looking at defending champions rowing we're looking at defending champions swimming we're looking at defending champions tennis and a men's tennis team uh that you know wants wants some more uh a softball team and a, and a women's basketball team that i think are going to finish better than people rank them uh a track team that you know has put people in the olympics last year i I feel good about the state of Texas sports. Remember, we are more than just football. Absolutely. And and again, it's national recognition is that football and basketball, right? But in a year where Texas fired both its football and its basketball coach, they were named the best athletic department, at least from an on on the court field space of competition uh, uh, standpoint. Uh, that you possibly could. So I'm banging the drum this week on expectations. And first I want to apologize because you and I early in the season after, you know, week four or five ish came out and and said some things that potentially uh, were based in, in 
rational thought, but not necessarily reality as far as what Texas would be and could be able to do on the season. Now we're sitting here in, you know, coming off of the eighth game of the year where Texas is sitting at a cool 500 and has you know, four winnable games left on the schedule, but also four very losable games or three very losable games in Kansas left on the schedule. And so I, I just want to say that it's impossible to compare where Texas is at now to the previous regime simply because Yes, there is talent, but the talent is in pockets and the talent is not necessarily in some of the most impactful pockets. If you remember when Steve Sarkeesian came on campus, he mentioned the fact that Texas had a bunch of tight ends and wide receivers. I don't know if you all remember that, but I do is that Texas has some roster builds roster numbers that don't necessarily uh, lead to success. Texas has not, I think Texas has signed like two top 250 offensive linemen in the last four cycles. That does not lead to success at the big 12 level. So yes, there is talent and yes, Tom Herman was able to win games, but Texas also had the, let's just let Sam put his head down and see what he can do play that Texas doesn't have, thankfully to run anymore. And then as much as Sam was good for Texas, I'm glad that Sam is not having to put his body on the line to let's just put it, save his coach's job because there's not enough talent in the right spots for them to win games. As many games as people want to throw at Sam's feet for his, you know, his weird passing or whatever, like Sam just straight up won some games for Tom Herman, especially in the year where they won the Sugar Bowl. Let's go back to look at that. That was a Sam Ellinger game. They beat Georgia because Sam Ellinger and that ground attack was just absolutely phenomenal. And, and the defense really won that game for a lot of them. And so when you're missing a bunch of guys, like go back and look at like the 2019 class and shout out to our friend, uh, Rick on the Twitter machines who always points us points us in the right direction. That 2019 class, based on early departures and transfers, like it's a bad look. It's not necessarily a great look for Texas. So let's pump the brakes. It's year one. Sark himself, I think, alluded to, maybe didn't say out loud that this was going to be a bit of a rebuild, and I think Texas will hit the portal hard and fast, and I think we'll see some attrition in the offseason as well, but again, it is okay to be frustrated. You are well within your rights to be frustrated, but if you're ready to fire a coach in year one, patience. Look at that 2019 class, honestly, guys. Uh, hoo, 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 hoo. Uh, the amount of transfers can't uh, fall to Gabriel Floyd, but at key positions, linemen who didn't work out, receivers who didn't work out specifically, uh, you look at where this team is struggling, playmakers at receiver, offensive line, linebacker. Uh, you know, it's all there. If you follow football but you don't follow recruiting, that's okay. But you you have to know that these things correlate directly. If they do a re-rank of this class, I don't know that this is a top 40 class. Uh, and I hate to say that out loud, but nope. it's a tough one. And we're seeing, we're seeing the ripples. The ripples shall continue until Texas can get the offensive line figured out. But that's all we've got for you this week. Texas currently up 92 to 31 on TLU. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. 
You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. We're on Facebook and Instagram, Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook up. Hook em. Taylor still sucks. <laughs> <laughs>